Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Hidden Apron Radio with me, your host, Paulo Española. This show is all about sharing the stories of ordinary people just like you and me doing extraordinary things with food, of how we break boundaries by breaking bread. Here on the show, I talk to accomplished restaurateurs, food bloggers, grocery store owners, and the whole spectrum of people who really, really love food, not only to cover the tactical things that they do that you can adopt today, but also their unique mindsets into food and how it drives our daily lives. For more information about the show, you can check out our website, hiddenapron.com. Uh, it contains all the information of what else we do outside of this podcast. It also has all the show notes and links to the foods and books that um, our guests mention on the show. And of course, if you have any feedback at all, we'd love to hear it. Email us at hiddenapron at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at hidden underscore apron. Now, I want to start out this episode by asking a question. How many of you have once thought, I wish people would just pay me to travel and eat like Anthony Bourdain or Andrew Zimmern? Or if you happen to cook like me, have been told, you know what? You should join Chopped or Master Chef or any one of the many reality TV shows out there. I mean, it seems so easy, right? Get on a plane, explore some exotic land, eat a lot, or join a cooking show, get paid to look good, eat good, without having to clean up any of the mess. I mean, like, why not? Why wouldn't you? This seems like the, the first logical step that you should take if you ever want to enter the food industry. And, and it's oftentimes the very first thing I hear when I say that um, I work with food. And, you know, not sure about you guys, but I've had these thoughts. You know, I've once fantasized of being a traveling foodie. Of course, those ambitions have morphed over time, uh, but this week's guest is very special. I actually had to track him down since he was only in New York for a few nights in that he's done all of the above of uh, traveling, eating, talking about um, his experiences on the road, but he's also done a lot, lot more. So our guest this week is Chef Sharwin T. He is the chef and host of Curiosity Got the Chef, the Philippines Lifestyle Network's first locally produced cooking show. The show features Sharwin traveling to international and domestic locations in order to find new ingredients, techniques, and inspirations for new dishes. It's also in its sixth season, making it the longest-running Filipino cooking show on cable television and its broadcast all over the world. Sharwin graduated from the Pacific Institute of Culinary Arts in Vancouver, Canada, and came into prominence after winning a reality cooking competition called The Clash of the Token Ones, Toke spelled T-O-Q-U-E, back in 2010. Now, Sharwin is extremely prolific, and he's done far more than just host a TV show. He's taught English, cooked for celebrities and dignitaries all over the world, from Abu Dhabi to Moscow, Chicago to San Francisco. Uh, he's owned a restaurant, published a book. I mean, what has this guy not done? is basically the question I'm asking. And I think this episode is a really, really fascinating one because it peels back the curtains on uh, some of the aspects of the food industry that many of us equate to glamour and ease, right? There's a reason people say, oh man, like I wish I could just do what Bourdain's doing. He just gets to travel and eat whatever he wants and he's paid for it. When in reality, uh, jobs like this are really, really hard and they require a lot of work. So I think if it came down to one thing, this episode is really about the value of curiosity and understanding why and how 
that understanding aids in everything from pursuing your dreams, coming up with new ideas, cultivating humility, creating commitment, and a whole host of other positive benefits. And these are all areas that Sharwood uh, will touch on during the show. We also talk about his experiences on the road, the difficulties of being on set. I found out that he actually eats, gets to eat a lot less than you think, by the way, even though he's, you know, I mean, the whole show is about food, right? Uh, and you'll find out why. The responsibility of chefs, writers, and diners in the food ecosystem, especially given the rise of social media where everyone feels like they're a critic today. His menu creation process, how he balances all his obligations, and how, how he maintains sanity amongst all these commitments. So, finally, an intro that isn't as long as my usually long-winded ones. And without further ado, Chef Sharwin T. Chef Sharwin. Hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome to New York. Thank you for uh, for doing this. This is my first ever podcast. So. <laughs> and I was saying this is going to be like pressure. But really, it's like welcome to your hotel room too. <laughs> Normally, I would say welcome to my penthouse. But yeah. this is... Ooh, that's that's awesome! I would have gone to the penthouse. I wish. I live in Queens, so it's not like it's anything bigger. Well, enjoy the view. It's a nice view of a brick building. No, I, you know, for I, I would like to say that we, you know, offered some five star uh, recording studio for a visiting dignitary like yourself. Nambola <laughs> pa. But you know, here I want to start here because when I was doing research last night, it was very. I found it very hard to stick with the normal chef route because okay. you've been on reality shows, you write, you travel, you've, I, I read that you taught English. Yes. I You're did. a storyteller because uh, if you remember, you know, you were telling me about that story of like the Lambanog tradition out in, All right. or was it Quezon? Yes. Uh, yeah. We just did an episode there. Yeah. In Quezon. So you did that. You obviously cook, you've owned a restaurant and I couldn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't really, not for lack of a better phrase, put it into a, a, a neat little package. So right. when you meet someone at a party and someone says, what do you do? How do you, how have you answered that? Or how do you answer that today? Well, usually I just say I cook for a living. Yeah. And then if they're more interested, then I start talking about the rest of the stuff I do. Because really, I, I don't want to start off telling people that I do a TV show. Because oh why not I don't know it just sounds kind of um, obnoxious I think to just start out by telling people you're on TV um, and uh, you know for me really the the whole TV thing just stems from the fact that I cook from a live cook for a living you yeah, know? yeah so yeah. that's why I always answer as I cook for a living right so. right although I I will say so yeah I saw this. Um, interview you had given uh, when you talked about like how you kind of fell into all this right and you mm -hmm. talked about how you used to watch Walk With Yan yeah which is funny because I used to watch Martin Yan uh, the other yeah. guy everybody thinks they're related no but they're, not. they're not they're not and I remember watching so that's like a, a tangent but but, um, but see the, the, the curious thing about that is that um, Martin Yan actually worked in his early years, worked for a company that sold one of Stephen Yan's products. I think. Really? I think. So that's their only connection together. So. <laughs> I was actually at first I thought it was Martin when you when you mentioned Yan and I was like, no, they're not the same. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned that as you're watching this, you're fascinated with the thought that this 
guy was able to entertain people by cooking. Mm-hmm. So initially, did you see yourself as a cook or as an entertainer? Yeah, that's the 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 weird thing about this whole journey of mine is I started to want to be a cooking show host, okay, and not a chef, okay. And now, whenever people when I give talks or when I when I talk with young chefs, aspiring chefs, I always tell them not to do that. You see, that's, why why that's, why why that? Because that was I mean, where yeah. where did that start? No, because that's the worst thing in the world, you know. If you think about it, there's like 7 billion people in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, give or take, maybe 3,000 of them have cooking shows around okay. the world. Okay. So 3,000 out of 7 billion is not a good percentage, sure. if you think about it. So that's really not what you should be aspiring for. Because, um, you know, the further I go on this journey, the more I realize that for you to become an effective cooking show host, you have to be a really good chef first. I see. That there's just no way, no way ifs or buts about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can be a, you can be a good uh, cooking show host if you portray yourself as a home cook, right? right. But um, but if you want to portray yourself as a chef, it's very difficult to do that if you don't have your skills together, and. Right. Um, you know, more often than not, the the chefs that get cooking shows have the skills to back them up. Very rarely do you find a chef that's, um, you know, because what else are they going to get you for, right? Yeah. Good looks, right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, out well, of the, the seven million can be made. I've seen some really good-looking people who can open a jar of, you know, <laughs> pasta sauce. And... That's, what I, that's, that's what I was thinking. Like, um, there's two there's two ways you get on a cooking show. It's either you got to be skilled about it mm-hmm. or you got to look really good, right? <laughs> it's just one of those two things. And sometimes you got both, you know, but... Oh, I hate people who have both. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like it's not an even playing field. No, so I think, you know, just generally me growing up, I started wanting to be a cooking show host, not really be a chef. Mm-hmm. And then growing up, being exposed to more food, yeah. being exposed to Nora Daza, it just, I just realized that you know, it more than just the show. I just wanted to be with food. Yeah. Like whether it was traveling to talk about food or to prepare the food or to taste the food. But yeah. I wanted to be around food. Right. Like right. that. And then that's when I realized that um, I didn't want to be a cooking show host anymore as much as I wanted to be a chef. And the 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 TV show was almost like a a byproduct. Yeah, because you know what, and like. Growing up, I forgot all about it. Like, yeah. who, who, who gets to do what they dreamed about when they were six years old? That's just, yeah, it's just too freaky. Yeah. So growing up, I was like, um, you know, I wanted to be a chef because I thought that was more attainable. And then at the same time, as I get, got into college, I was like, dude, I gotta make a living. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't just. Uh, you know, chefs didn't earn a lot of money when I was growing up. So you barely knew who was the chef at the restaurant. You always wanted to know um, the food, what the food was, but not who the chef was. Yeah. Now you, you see restaurants and, you know, sometimes they're named after the chef or or the chef's name appears right under the name of the restaurant. That didn't used to happen. When or sometimes up. you would even go just because of the chef's. Right. Sometimes, like, I didn't even know what the food was, but the chef was good. So yeah. I went there. So Sure. But growing up, none of that. So being a chef wasn't really a career. So I figured, um, you know, I should do the grown-up thing and try to do 
like a real job. Yeah. So I took up communications in college. And then I uh, started teaching. Right. And then it's just that after all of those things, you know, the, the call to to be a chef was just a little too strong for me to resist. Mm-hmm. So, so, I, so I went back. Out of curiosity, did, um, did parents ever figure into that decision? Well, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, coming from you know, our backgrounds of being Chinese, like, yeah. was there ever a pushback? Oh, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of it. Um, of course, they wanted me to be in business, whether it's my own business or a family business. Um, but I guess, you know, I mean, I gotta, I gotta show them that I'm, I can make a living for myself. And that's really the, the root of all their worries anyway. Right. Right. So, right. um, as long as I showed them that, then they were okay with it. And, um, you know, in, at the end of the day, being a chef will be about business too. In yeah. the end, because right now, uh, looking at how big the culinary industry is, it is a business. It's big money business. Right. So, in the end, that's where we're all gonna fall in anyway. Although so, sometimes we often see it's just like, oh, tagalut, you know, you know, yeah, we're just making food before, before, right, but before. now, now it's uh, it's a little bit different. But actually, see, the funny thing is, I think people lose sight of the fact that we are just tagaluto, we are cocineros. Yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. Um, sometimes because the industry gets a little bit too big, mm-hmm. you know, people think that we're, I don't know, saving lives or, or we have some kind of, or we're, you know, rocket scientists or soldiers or, or even doctors, you know, look, we just cook food. We yeah. make, we make people happy. That's, yeah, that's as far as we go. We, we don't have to be, we don't have to look at ourselves too highly. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like sometimes now because the industry is so big that, um, some industry people or people that love the industry put a little too much importance to what we do. Yeah, it's you a know? way of um, justifying your work. I mean, and this is not a knock on people who see it as a passion, right? Like there are some who, like like Dan Barber, for example, he's not mm-hmm. just cooking to cook. It's right, know, preserve right. all this and oh, making that, a that's, statement. That's great. That's great. But, but not everyone has to be that. Yeah, and also you have to remember that okay, you do that. That's your personal choice. Yeah. And if people don't see that, you don't need to make them, mm-hmm. you know, see that. Right, right. Because right. like back over right. the head with it. And and the great thing about like with Dan Barber is that he does this, but at the core of it, he still wants to feed people. Right. And really, that's what we can't forget. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you don't feed people, you're not a chef. Yeah. And, um, you know, you... you 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 want to use your cooking to do some good but at the end of the day you still have to feed people right that's still your main job right right and then you talk about saving the world after that so you can't just keep saving the world and forget about feeding people yes going back to something you said earlier of Mm -hmm. before even the chef stuff you wanted to be a a cooking show host what was it about that job that you saw on TV that you resonated with? I just love the concept of how, you know, because entertainment has always been about people that look good, people that have, you know, some kind of singing or dancing talent, especially in the Philippines. Yeah, exactly. It's always about singing or dancing or acting. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I couldn't do any of the three, (laughs) even if I tried to. (laughs) Very hard. Okay. But, uh, But 
so they enter this guy that entertains people by cooking. Yeah. And um, if you watch any of these Walk With Yan shows on, on YouTube, you'll see that um, the audience is just mesmerized. They laugh when he jokes, and then they react when he throws stuff in the pan or, or um, flambe something. Yeah. And that made me think, like, we, you can entertain people with cooking. And mm-hmm. really, I can cook. Like, at the time, where you at already the time I couldn't, but I could see myself doing it, right? Gotcha. Because, I mean, acting is or dancing, you know immediately if you can do it or not. Yeah. I mean, you can train for it, but... It'll only get you yeah. so far, yeah. But you could see with cooking that if you follow a recipe or you practice your technique, you're going to be able to do it well. Mm-hmm. And so... That kind of um, interested me. So that right. means that I could entertain people, you know, not by singing, not by dancing, not by acting, but by cooking. Right. And that really, that really got me interested. Like, how could that be? How yeah. could that, how could such a, such an act get people entertained? And right. um, that's what made me interested. So there's there's seems to be like two parts to it because there's the part that you said. You know the the call to be a chef was just really strong, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that. You study. You studied in Canada, right? For, yes, for I did. So mm-hmm. after, and those are like the the skills. But between then and now, you're obviously still doing food, mm-hmm. and you your show is called Curiosity Got the Chef. So I'm wondering what made you curious in the first place? Because some people, once they learn how to cook, I'm good. You know, yeah. I have these are my dishes. This is what I I this is my style. Mm-hmm. But you have actually gone out there and said, I'm always curious. So where did that come from? Where where would you say that initial spark of curiosity to be around food, to travel for it, to talk about it? Like, where did that come from? I, I think I've always been a, a curious person, naturally, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, you know, when, let's say, there's a really nice toy around, and it let's say it's a car that goes by itself. Okay. And I'm like, I want to know how that works. The other kids would want to play with it. Yeah. I want to know how it works. Yeah. See that that's how I um um think and generally about most things. Yeah. So um even when I when I teach young cooks now it's the same thing. I I I don't just tell them to do it this way. I tell them the why we do it this way. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps people understand it more because like okay, why do we have to sear the steak? And then you give them the reason why. And then they're going to actually be committed to doing it because now they know why. There's a foundation behind right. it, right? So me, that's how I thought. So naturally, I always wanted to know about the whys, the hows. And um, with cooking, I just realized that coming out of culinary school, you know, it, this is a phenomenon. Like every time you come out of culinary school, you always think you know everything. Yeah. And I'm guilt. I was guilty of that when I was a kid. So. I get out of culinary school. I feel like I know everything. You know, we were trained in classic French technique. Um, so I get home and I cook for the family. And I cook them like a nice classic French meal. Yeah. And they hated it. <laughs> like, um, they, were very, they were very polite. Like, oh, you know, the pork was cooked really well. But, <laughs> but you know... That what did they you make like, them? I'm, I'm um, curious, what did you make? I made um, like a... Uh, roasted pork with a charcuterie sauce. So a charcuterie is like a 
basically your basic uh, Espanol brown sauce. Yep. But then it has it's finished with mustard and cornichons. Mustard. Wow. Uh, and you fed Filipinos mustard yeah. and cornichons. Wow, that's no, no, no. I I fed Chinese Filipinos. That's so that's even worse. Bravery, <laughs> man. <laughs> so they were like, eh. so for me, I I realized that look. It, you you can know a lot mm-hmm. but you can't know everything yeah and i also know that you can make a dish perfect and not everybody will like it right so um those two things just just hit me and it changed the way completely like coming out of culinary school i felt like i could cook like everyone the under the yeah. table yeah. right then i realized it's not as simple see if you want to be a great chef, you got to cook for your audience, right? You mm-hmm. can't just, because I felt really nice. Like I, I did that perfectly. Yeah. Like, but then, you know, it made me feel good about myself, but it didn't really make my diners happy. You didn't feed them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were not especially pleased with the food. Yeah. Right. So I didn't do my job and that made me realize that I don't know everything. And that's why I got to keep trying to learn. Yeah, and keep um, finding out about new flavors. Maybe this is something they like. This is something they don't like. And why don't they like this? Like, why do these particular people don't like this? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, for example, why do Asians like sweeter wine than than the Westerners? Right. It's a whole mm. thing. So, if once you get that in your head, you're gonna be a naturally curious person too, because now you want to mm. know, like. Okay, if that didn't work, then what's gonna work? Are you the type who um, I don't know if you've heard of the book Food Lab, with Jay Kenji Alt. From, I think I heard of Food it's Lab. This huge tome, yeah. and it's like, if you're into that kind of, it's the geekiest like entire <laughs> chapters on just meat, right? Like the right. science behind it and everything. And uh, who is it that wrote? Um, is it Harold McGee who wrote like on food and cooking or something like that? But I'm, was there? Is there an example right now that you can think of of a big question that you're still curious about that you just haven't quite gotten the answer to yet? Um, well, I don't know if it's a, a question or more of like a, um, how to... Because, you, know, you know how they say there's no accounting for taste? What do you mean? There, there's a saying that says there's no accounting for taste, meaning you can't really know what a person likes. Okay. And um, it's something that has really, you know, it, it's an endless um, journey to, to go tackle trying to account for taste. Okay. Because, I mean, like like I said, you can figure things out or at least you think you figured it out and then you don't. So just recently I was, um, I think it was yesterday, I was in Little Senegal in Harlem. Okay. And my friend and I ate at African Keen. It's a it's a Senegalese restaurant, and their appetizer was fried spring rolls. Okay. And I'm like, dude, there's no spring rolls in Africa. Yeah. And the guy says, no, we do, and this is how we make it because um, Senegal was a colony of France. Yep. And when they were fighting the war, they brought in Vietnamese people to fight for them. Yeah. And so some of these intermarried and they started making spring rolls. Yeah. So I'm like, how do you even account for that? Like, you don't. Yeah. And and really, that's... So I cannot imagine people in Senegal want 
spring rolls with the fish sauce dip. Yeah. But they do. Right? And, um, or, you know, one of the dishes they had was uh, a lamb stew with peanut butter. And it Sounds tasted like, kare kare. <laughs> it tasted like kare kare, man. Like a lamb kare kare. And, um, you see, Senegal and Filipinos, they, I don't think they had a significant history together. But their dishes sort of taste similar. Although I've right? heard the argument so, that if you're near the same latitude, you'll naturally might come up with this because the same foods. Mm. So it's interesting that you brought up Senegal. Yeah, no, it's it's my um, my my favorite um, thing to talk about now about food is that the more I travel, mm-hmm. the more I realize that. Um, we're basically the same people. Oh my gosh! So yes, I know that sounds like overly romantic. Right? It's, it's like, not though. It's, but it's, it's really not. It's on a tactical level. It's totally true. Because uh, my 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 favorite example is the tonkotsu broth, you know, with ramen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my. F- By the way, for I, I, for people who don't know what what is tonkotsu broth. Okay, tonkotsu broth is like this really difficult broth to make, but it's um it's basically pork bones um cooked for a ton of hours okay. like some even go as long as 45 yeah and basically when you drink that broth it's just so rich mm-hmm. because it's been cooked down for so long that your lips will actually have an oily film to yeah, them yeah, yeah. right and if you actually take the time to freeze well not even freeze just cool off oh and then and um, clarify and uh, the tonkotsu broth mm-hmm. it actually gelatinizes Right, and um, and that's why you have that oily film in your in on your lips. Yeah, and I always tell people like, everybody's into ramen now, so everybody loves tonkotsu broth. Right, or or if they don't know what tonkotsu is, that's, but that's what they like about ramen, and I tell them that, if you like shaolongpao, it's the same concept. I just had it a couple hours ago. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because the broth, that's how they fill the dumplings yep. with the broth. It's a gelatinous broth. Right. And how do they achieve the gelatinous broth? Is again, they cook it down. Just like the, just like the tonkotsu broth. And um, if you think about it, when we were training, we would make uh, a French sauce called demi-glace. Which is again, cooking bones down until it becomes a gelatinous broth. Yeah. And let's say if you make a really good bulalo, you have to cook that down too. Yeah. And your broth is going to get gelatinous too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And none of these cultures really, you know, talked about this. This is just, that's just how people do it. Yeah. And so that's why I believe that we're all the same people because we're after the same thing. Each cuisine is after the same thing. You're, Which you're is trying to get a lot of richness, a lot of balance, a lot of umami. Mm-hmm. Right, so again, that that leads me to think that we're all basically the same people, because even if we don't necessarily affect each other's cuisine, our cuisines are similar on many levels. Right, and that makes us the same people. Right, and uh, people think that it's a it's a romantic notion that world peace can be achieved through food. Yeah, but I really think it can. I've actually said the exact same words where I've yeah. said I really think food has the power to solve every single one of our problems, every conflict. And they're like, what is that? That's not... <laughs> it's I, a romantic notion. Or or not even romantic, but that, that we have evidence of the contrary. So the example I've always brought up on the podcast is mm-hmm. this paper that I read in 
college about the history of hummus mm -hmm. and it was a huge it was a, a dense paper okay and whether it was the israelis or the palestinians oh yeah yeah who started it and who started it and i'm yeah. like why don't we celebrate the fact that we both have hummus or <laughs> yeah. or or you know um the idea of when we brought up senegal one of my one of my friends who i've cooked with he uh had a west african i forgot which particular nation but he he had a west african co-worker mm -hmm. and he said you know i've never eaten west african food could you give me some recipes i'll just cook them knowing that i have no memory of what it's supposed to taste like all right so he gave him the recipes and he said by the way i'll invite some of my filipino friends to right. come over so we could all eat this. So he's cooking, and the Filipino's like, "Oh, you're making menudo," and he, the guy kept quiet. He's like, he didn't say anything. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you're making pinirito isda. You're yeah. making kare kare. He didn't yeah. say anything the whole time. Right. African guy comes over. He's like, "Oh my god, you cooked it just like how we make it in West Africa." And all the Pinoys were like, "This is not Pinoy," <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. So you're, I, you know, I, I love that you, you say that. What, have you noticed? I'm sure you have, but what, what have you noticed with? The Philippines in particular, since you've traveled up and down the country, mm -hmm. what are some things that really stick out to you as like, wow, this is similar no matter where I went in Pinas? No, um, what I, what what I'm gonna tell you is actually just um, a couple of things that people don't necessarily think about when they talk sure. Filipino food. Okay, one of them is that we're farm to table before farm to table was ever anything, <laughs> yeah. right? And the other is that we cooked locally yeah until we got colonized yeah so um if you go to the provinces especially the farther ones mm -hmm. in the philippines they still do the same they still cook farm to table and they still cook locally mm. and it's kind of funny how the rest of the world is trying to impose this thing on us that we should cook locally yeah that we should do farm to table when we've actually been doing it. And the only reason why we forgot we were doing it is because the other people said we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now we're going back to that, but we were already you know, we were already doing it from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So I was in Kamigin yep. shooting for the show and there was this dish called Sorol. Okay. And um it's a it's basically a chicken, a local chicken, um, native chicken that's been stewed with uh, coconut milk and um of all things well there's a little bit of chili um dried chili uh chili leaves um red peppers and mexican oregano oh what okay that's so i'm like i've never seen mexican oregano before yeah so when i was the dried one or the, no, actual the, the, the actual leaf oh wow so it's the leaf that's kind of a little bit wide and then it's a little bit furry when you hold on to mm -hmm. it and um so I was like, well, what is this? And one of the writers of the show was like, I think it's Mexican oregano. And then so we started asking people and some of the people said it was mint. I'm like, dude, that's it's not, not mint. It's not yerba buena? So I'm not sure. Okay. So, but what I do know is that it looks like Mexican oregano. Sure. So, um, and so we started talking about how this dish came about. And then, um, so I was trying not to ask questions so that, you know, when I'm in front of the camera, I'm still curious, right? So, oh, okay. so behind the scenes, the writer was talking to, to um, the guy, yeah, making the dish, and she was asking like, okay, so what's the first step to the dish? And they said like, we're we're gonna make coconut milk. So they grab fresh coconuts, mm -hmm. 
they open it up and then they start um, grating the coconut for for with making the, the milk with the with the the horse yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. and so the natural question apparently for for the writer was okay so um do you ever if you're in a hurry do you ever buy canned coconut milk mm-hmm. and the guy was absolutely like taken out of his game yeah. he just stopped and he never even it never even crossed his mind that coconut milk was available in cans. Wow. So he was like, well, no, because we have coconuts right here. And he points to the trees. Yeah. And then like, okay. And then, okay, so what what else are the other ingredients that you have? And he's like, well, we have uh, chili leaves. um, But if you don't have these, you can have whatever leaves you have here. So I I just realized that the whole dish was conceptualized because they just used whatever they could find. Right. Around the area. And I don't know who started planting Mexican oregano somewhere, but it just started that way. Yeah. And now it's part of, it's an integral part of the dish. So if you think about it, Filipino food has always been about uh, cooking local, cooking what's available Mm -hmm. and uh, talking to um, Chef Tatung, uh, one of the chefs that do a lot of traditional Filipino uh, techniques and food. Mm-hmm. Um, he did mention that, you know, a lot of the names of our dishes are actually cooking methods and not the name of the dish. Like like adobo. For like example. adobo right. or sinigang. Or yeah. All of these are actually the method of cooking. So it's like you're naming your dish braising. It's like that. Yeah. Or frying. And uh, that's why we call prito. Yeah. And then pinritong isda or right. pinritong whatever, right? Sure, sure. So... Um, and I realized that the reason why our dishes are named this way is because we cooked locally. We cooked what was available, what was seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, except that, you know, we don't have seasons. We only have the rainy and the dry season. Right. But we still cooked locally. Like, if avocado was available, we'd cook avocado. If not, you know, find something else. Yeah. So, Filipino cuisine has always been about cooking locally. Like, it was... It was just changed when we had all these supermarkets and yeah, and we'd buy imported goods. What I read was right. also when the Americans came, there was a big movement to create these home economic classes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they thought at the time this is like exactly what you said. Like they saw the cooking locally as unsafe, unsafe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So everything's got to be packaged and Correct. everything. And then you and know that's... that's the same argument that when we interviewed. Um, Amy Bessa a couple of weeks ago, she said the same thing. It's like it is about the method, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. There should be no reason we're arguing over the correct way to make adobo. Yes. Because like, you know, in Visayas we use coconut milk. Who, who says yes. we're not supposed to? I I never I I cook adobo without soy sauce unless somebody asks me to. Right. So you use salt then. I use salt and um, vinegar. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, that's I I believe my adobo should be that way, and I don't begrudge anyone who wants to use turmeric. Wants to use patis. Yeah. Wants to use pineapple juice. I've seen people do that. Oh wow. Okay. Um, coconut milk, soy sauce, whatever you want, man. Yeah. It's 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 really up to you. The only thing is you gotta have some sort of vinegar in there, some sort of bay leaf, and some sort of peppercorn. Yeah. But basically, that's what Filipino food is. It's it's family based. Would it's... you say that is one of the more enlightening insights that you've gathered on the road, or would you say there's well, you know, what are some other things that while you were on the road was like an aha moment for you that you're like, oh, wow, like. This oh, is... there's there's tons of stuff, though. But um, OK, 
uh, I recently went to Tagum, okay, uh, which is an hour away from Davao. And Davao is in south. in the yeah south okay. in Mindanao, and um, so a lot of uh, a lot of the the indigenous tribes mm-hmm. are Muslim, and they live in the south, and they have a whole food culture that we didn't even know about, and that's probably because nobody has really gone there, took the time to really understand what their food culture is like. I mean, the misconception is that the South is full of yeah. terrorists. Yeah, 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 but you know, these are just a few people. Right. And um, and the, the the food there is like totally different. The flavor profiles are totally different. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and again, they, they cook locally. So they have a lot of lemongrass, a lot of ginger, a lot of chilies mm-hmm. and coconuts. So um, one of the dishes I had was tasted like, I swear to God, it tasted like beef rendang. And, um, Isn't it called rendang too? No, no, they call it a sinina. So I'm like, um, it it actually had coconut milk and soy sauce together, which I never thought would work. It just okay. didn't make sense. Yeah. But when I tasted it, it, was it was really good, like holy crap, good. Okay. And um, so I just realized like how diverse Filipino cuisine is. Like I thought I knew a lot. I know nothing about Filipino food. Yeah. Like. There's just so many flavors there that I didn't know about, and um, and so that's the that's definitely the wow moment for me is that every time I travel to a province, there's something new to learn. Right. Maybe it's a technique, maybe it's an ingredient, maybe it's a flavor combination, or mm-hmm. sometimes even the thought of it. Like um, a lot of Muslim feasts, for example, in the Philippines would start with coffee, and some kind of sweet thing. Oh. And I asked them why, and they said that part of it is because they want to celebrate um, moderation uh, when you eat. And, of course, if you start with coffee and something sweet, your appetite sort of, uh, I don't know, how do you say that? You, you lose your appetite a little bit. Yeah, because right? coffee is usually you end the meal. Right, right, yeah. right. So what happens is you get sort of half full so that you, when you eat, you don't eat as much. Because you're not supposed to eat too much. Right. And um, you see, that concept is also a Catholic concept, right? Because gluttony is a, one of the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's again, it's the same people. Yeah. It's the same people. We're after the same thing. It's yeah. just that we do things differently. Right. So for me, every time I go around the Philippines, it's like, I don't know anything at all. Like, I really don't. That's That's definitely what really freaked me out like every time I go to a province like I don't I don't even know that I didn't even know that yeah and, and you know it's always a learning experience yeah I think because you're you're obviously more than just a cook right you're you're tasked with this with this mission so to speak of you have to also tell their stories right yes I so want to though I, I really do what have you found has have people's perceptions of Filipino food and however you define that term how has it changed since you started on this journey? You know, have have Filipinos' minds become more expansive, more divisive? And I'm just talking, you know, you could say if it's also Filipinos around the world or just Philippines, it's up to you and how you want to define the parameters of this question. <laughs> but how has the perception around food in general changed? I think uh, I'll tell you, like, probably reveal part of my age. But, like, when I started... Filipino food was basically reduced to you bring your relatives there if they come home from the States. Yeah. 
or they come home from the Middle East or wherever they come from. You bring them to a Filipino restaurant, you have that huge uh, fiesta-like atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, that's pretty much it. And then if you want to do like a fancy dinner, you're going to bring them to a steakhouse, <laughs> yeah. an Italian restaurant, yep, a yep. Japanese restaurant. So that's that's the picture of when I was starting to work as a cook. Mm-hmm. So my first... Uh, experience with that was that um, I started cooking my interpretations of Filipino food um, in my private events and um, the reception was more of amusement really than anything oh else. Oh my gosh, yeah. Because like, oh, how it, quaint. It's Filipino that, food but cute. it looks yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. So, because it's always been associated with, you know, what people think, you know, like it's oily, it's brown. You go into a food coma after. And, and people just sort of accepted that mm-hmm. through the years. But now people are beginning to realize that that's not true at all. Like if you look at our pre-colonial food and even our colonial food, everything is bright. It's colorful, you know, very, very flavorful. And there's a ton of very healthful Filipino dishes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So people don't realize this, but it's there. Yeah. Um, you go north, you go south, they have everything. So I think what's changed is that, is that people now don't regard modern Filipino food as amusement, with amusement anymore. It's more of, um, they've sort of come to accept that, uh, that the chefs are, are, are now being inclined to, to modernize our food. Yeah, and this is like, a, it's a serious thing. It's not just, yeah. I'm, not pl- I'm not just playing around with my, Correct, with my right? food. But... So you can see it now. I mean, it's... Uh, in the very, very beginning, when I was starting, Chef Laudico, um, he used to do private events. Now he has a ton of restaurants. Yeah. Super big time. But he started by doing private events too. And um, he would do modern imp- interpretations of Filipino food. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, as a as an aspiring chef at that time, that was about 2004, 2005 that was quite a revelation for me like oh you can you can change Filipino food and make it look French because it really did look French to me and um, so I started wanting to do the same thing so I started doing that and then you got um, I think it was 08 uh, this restaurant called Pino by Chef Edward which is basically Filipino food 2.0 that's his that's the that's basically the motto of the restaurant yeah and now you've got karakarang bagnet out there and now everyone's doing it yeah. like every restaurant has karakarang bagnet yeah but I, as far as i know pino was the first to do it and this was in 08 so you can see the the progression right at 03 you know one guy was doing it right now you look at 2016 you've got locavore pino is still around after 8 years um and uh, you've got Jordi Navarra. He's like a very talented chef. Um, he's doing Filipino degustation. Yeah. Right? And now, and here in the States, you've got Amy Besa blazing the trail here in New York. So so you can see the progression from just one person trying to modernize it, trying to... Because a lot of times, like in the early 2000s, Filipino food was always family-style plated, 
you know, even the whole Boodle fight thing, the Boodle fight thing started in the 2000s. Yep. I mean, the, the soldiers were doing it way before that, but it only got popular in the 2000s. The Kamayan concept died with Kamayan in the 90s, and then it was brought back because of the Boodle fight. So you can see that we sort of went through a, what I feel like was a really low point, and then by the 2000s, it was beginning to go, you know, really up. And um, so I think that's how locally in the Philippines, that's how the perception of Filipino food changed. It's from something that you just, uh, you know, eat with your family. Now it's like, it can be made fancy in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there is that acceptance now. Not everyone does. That's why opening a Filipino restaurant, a high-end Filipino restaurant is so difficult in the Philippines. But... Or even here, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, even here, I guess. And, um, yeah, so... But it's gonna come. Yeah. It's gonna come. It's just a matter of uh, time, you know? We were, you know, not to sound like an angry, colonized person, but it takes time because we were colonized for so long. You have to decolonize the palate, so to speak. Yeah. We We have to go at it one person at a time. Yeah. So it's gonna take a little more time than say American food right? right or or Japanese food so I think that's the one thing that was really jarring to me because when I went back last year after not having gone for for a while and I used to go every year and I remember exactly what you said you know when mm-hmm. you come home they take you to the usual fiesta style yeah. you know big plates mang inasal and I mean I love mang inasal right <laughs> and I remember uh, when I met um, Bea who's the one who introduced mm-hmm. us he took mm-hmm. me to I think it was Cafe Batuan or Sarsa one of mm-hmm. one of JP Angle spots and they gave they made this like deconstructed arascaldo mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where the the rice was in a banana leaf, the broth was set, and it was like, I was like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> this looks too good. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. what? What? And it was not. It was not an anomaly anymore. Right. You know, it's it was. Not, it was other people were doing it. Mm-hmm. But I have to ask, if that's sticking with the whole perception thread, right? That's the perception of of the food. Um, one thing that I've often heard from people as a like an off just a remark on the side when they see people who do these things, who tell stories, who travel, who eat like Bourdain, mm-hmm. Andrew Zimmer, and you, you know, they say sometimes, man, I, I wish I could just get paid to go out and do what they do and eat. <laughs> right, and right. I'm sure that's not a true statement. Like there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes. Like I've seen your Instagrams, right? What would you say are some misconceptions around how people perceive what you do? Well, the first thing is that it's not as glamorous as people think. Okay. Um, because, you know, let's say we're going on, on location on a shoot they basically give you a week because you don't have enough money to stay for longer sure. and everybody gets paid by the day. So, um, the, the longer your shoot goes, the wor- the more expensive it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So the studio or the network will just give you seven days to shoot. And in those seven days, you got to find enough material for three episodes, right? What? Three or two, you know, if you're lucky, two. If if it's being real about it, sometimes it's three. So if you would need that much and basically you go to a place, you shoot, it takes you about two hours to shoot in a place, talk about the food, try the food. And that's going to be five minutes tops on screen. <laughs> Right, because after five minutes, people are gonna be bored because you're in the same location. Yeah. So you gotta move. So if you do the math, 
it's a horrible pace. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, okay, we're here and coming in. Okay, let's eat lunch. Okay. And then let's move to the next place. So I get an hour, hour and a half. Once you taste the food, everyone's done, we go. Right? Yeah, because you're also chasing sunlight. Yeah, you're chasing probably. sunlight and the next place because you made the reservations in the next oh place. Oh my gosh. Because we, pay, you know, we pay for everything yeah. unless they offer. So we have to make reservations as well. So when we go to the next place, it's still lunchtime, but it's going to be lunchtime in a different episode. Right, so I have to be hungry again, right? Because <laughs> I mean, you, you you can't come into lunch the yeah, next day yeah. and not be hungry. Yeah, so, yeah. so it it then ceases to become glamorous because you're eating five meals, six meals in a span of six hours, right? Seven hours, you're super full. But if you don't eat all of it, you sort of feel bad for the chef, right? But if you try to eat all of it, you can't. You just physically can't. Yeah. So, a lot of this. Um, traveling and tasting that I do is really just tasting. Like that moment when you see me eat on screen, that's pretty much what I eat. I don't eat the rest of it because... You have to leave stomach space for the next, uh, the next restaurant. Yeah. One, one it's, it strikes me as... And I, I don't use this term. I use this term very loosely. It just doesn't seem fun. You know what I mean? Like if I want it, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it's very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean? If I want to be like the camera crew and just w- sit down and finish this meal because I don't have to worry about stomach space and, and all this, I can't because mm-hmm. I, I, I need to get these episodes done. Thinking of all the work that has to go into it, what what are you trying to... What What's the effect that you want your viewer to have? What's What's the point? Well, see, it it is it becomes fun mm-hmm. for me, you know that that part is work. Right, exactly. But what, but what does the, the work? What does the work trying to get to? See, but underneath all of that, you know what I get fed with is the stories. Mm, okay. And mm. I love stories. Yeah. Like, um, so every time I I eat this dish, I talk to the person like, why is this dish made? How is this dish made? Mm-hmm. And I'm filled with these stories, and you know Filipino food is a lot of stories like recipes come about because of nice stories um or maybe even family stories like this became a family recipe because of a certain story Mm -hmm. and i want people to hear that as much as possible and if it doesn't come out on screen i try to tell it because that's that's what makes this all of this fun yeah because if i go around I learn about these recipes. I begin to understand more of the people that are there. And if I do that and people watch me, perhaps they can get the same thing. And if I can spread the stories, I can spread the understanding, then I've done my job. Yeah. And the only difficult, and I use difficult in air quotes, yeah. is that I have to eat more yeah. and make myself <laughs> fat. <and> then <laughs> it's okay. I'll take one for the team. Right? It's not a bad problem to have. <laughs> So I can't complain. Like yeah. I always tell people that it's not um it's not as much it's not glamorous or as much fun as people think, yeah. but really it's the best job. Yeah. It really is the best job in the world because it fulf- it's a fulfilling. It's, yeah, you know? it's just tough to do, but it's definitely the best job in the world. So uh the, from a tactical perspective, right? And I want kind of like a thought experiment because mm-hmm. I think this is one thing I, I also think about when, when we talk about food, there's a lot that we take for granted. Like we have, we already have a foundation to start with. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm talking Filipino food, it's not like I'm starting from zero. Right. So thought experiment, let's say 
you as the host of Curiosity Got the Chef was suddenly flown out to an undiscovered location, an undiscovered island of the Philippines that no okay. one's ever... This has been hidden from the world, right? You've okay. gone in and no one's ever been to this island and no one knows about their cuisine. They've never met the Spaniards. Okay. What are the sorts of questions you would ask them to learn about their cuisine? Assuming you can communicate by words. Like, what are the things uh-huh. that you would normally ask to try to learn about them? Well, the first thing, of course, is how. Because that's I'm I'm that kind of person. I'm a how person. Okay. So I want to know how they cook the dish. Okay. And then afterwards, I want to know why. See, it's it's the how and the why that um, that you you know, flavor is important if you're a chef. But if you're trying to understand people, it's always the how and the why. Mm-hmm. So if you want to understand the cuisine, you ask how they do it, because in technique you can see some of the reasons or some of the the history of it. Gotcha. So, for example, if they cook with banana leaves, why do they cook with banana leaves and not corn husks? And then you realize, well, there's more banana trees here. So they use more banana leaves. So you sort of realize certain things because of that. And um, the other thing is the why. So you want to know, for example, why do you cook this this long? Or... You know, why do you not cook it this way? Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you go really north to the Banao Rice Terraces, um, a lot of them, they just boil their food. And for some visiting chefs, I know for a fact that this happened, but some visiting TV chefs, they're put, they're put off because, dude, you just boiled the dish. Yeah. You know, you boiled root vegetables and you gave it to me and that's my food, yeah. right? What's the cuisine there? Yeah. But if you ask why, you'll realize that a lot of the people in the north, they believe that the food came from the gods. And to out of respect, they can't touch the food. So the only thing they can do is boil them. And then that's why they eat them. What do you mean touch? Like physically touch like, it or, or no, mess around? And... Mess around with yeah. flavors, right? Yeah. So, oh, so wow, they just boil it. And that's a sign of respect to their gods. So, but what do they so, flavor it with? They don't flavor it salt? at all. Well, that's salt. Oh, no, well, salt probably. Okay. Salt probably, but none of the herbs, none of the spices, because again, they weren't. You know, most of the Spaniards never got there anyway. Right. So, um, and they've always believed in 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 their gods instead of Catholicism. Sure. So it was a completely different. Uh, oh wow. Uh, so again, if you ask about the hows and the whys, you get to understand the people more. More than the taste. Really, I mean, the taste, of course it's going to taste good or bad, whether you like it or not. Yeah. But the hows and the whys, that's constant. You can't change that. Taste is almost like, uh, the analogy is like almost like it's the tip of the iceberg. It's, yeah. it's the moment when you could manifest something. Right. And there's all so, this underlying stuff. If If people watch my show, they realize that when I talk about the taste I generally like everything I taste <laughs> and people ask me if I'm just being polite about it but really when you get to know the hows and the whys you get to appreciate the food more oh yeah and then sure. all of a sudden everything kind of tastes good because for sure. because there's always a reason behind it and um, and so again if you want to understand some kind of culture it's there it's not just it's not enough to just taste it right and you can't say like a dish is good or bad because it tastes you know you don't like the taste that's not where it that's not where it lies you know not where the understanding lies it's yeah yeah it's almost like um 
like the food becomes alive once you know the the story to it. And I mean, I don't want to like overly romanticize, especially since a lot of these stories behind it are painful ones, right? Like mm-hmm. in Korea, the butejige, it's the um, army stew. So uh-huh. it has ramen noodles, spam, yeah. right, kimchi. Right. Like that came out because in the war, they literally had to just toss everything into this pot and it became called hey, army uh, stew, right? Spam is pretty much the same thing with us. Exactly. I mean, a lot of our uh, GIs were in Hawaii and uh, spam was made available um, widely and then it became you know we sort of equated that to pasalubong yeah and uh, people would bring gifts of spam yeah and chocolate yeah, yeah. and M&M's most most uh, most prominently and uh, so that's part of our culture yeah it's like there's that there's a long line of stories behind this one thing and it, it right. does make it taste that much better right but Sticking on tactics, because again, going back to the idea that you like, you do so much, dude. I I don't know how <laughs> no, you no, manage no. to do it. I but... actually don't do a lot. That's what people people think I do, but it's it's like bursts of. So that's the activity. question. That's yeah. the question. Actually, how do you allocate your day? Mm-hmm. So be it when you're just in Pinas mm-hmm. or when you're on the road. Right. How would you? How do you usually? What What's a normal day in the life? I suppose. Oh, uh, my my normal day in life is totally boring. I'm in bed doing nothing. No, but <laughs> but um, a lot of it is short bursts of of work. Like, if I'm gonna go on a shoot, it's a week, so I'm out the week. And uh, like intense, like intense. You're working every day. Um, you're probably gonna be asleep by nine because you have to wake up at five or four in the morning. Gotcha. Um, just to do the whole shoot. Um, and that's one week of straight work. And then you get home, you probably veg out the next day. Um, and then, you know, let's say I have to do an event. Let's say I do a pop-up. I'm going to need a couple of days to, to, to do prep and then the day itself. And then, um, I scatter a little bit of like meetings with that, uh, meetings to discuss the pop-up. Uh, and then the rest of the time, you know, there's, there's like pockets of time where I do nothing. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, when when that happens, I have to seize that opportunity because when you do nothing, that's the best time to write. Mm. And that's when I write. Uh, I have a I have a blog and a website. Yeah. Uh, I can plug it here. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's uh, sharinti.com. Yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much where I where I put everything else that I don't know where to put. So if I've got a story I want to tell, I'll put it there. Uh, if I've got a recipe to share, I'll put it there. So I use my downtime to do that. Okay. Um, and thankfully, a lot of my work now is I work with brands. I develop recipes for brands. So sometimes you see a recipe on their FB page or on their label. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably me. Well, I'm uncredited, but that's probably me. Yeah. Um, so that's most of my work. And a lot of my work I can do at home. And I can do um, over the internet. So okay. a lot of my blog writing work will be over the internet. And then uh, the recipes too, I, I try them out at home and then I send them, I send the recipes digitally to the brands. So yeah, I'm actually more based at home than people think. So, I only leave home for travel and for events. I think so. you've actually answered my, my second question to that because, you know, some of the things that you talk about are things that require, you know, there's entire podcasts dedicated to just the practice and the art of writing 
Uh-huh. You know, people have like I have a difficulty keeping up my blog mm-hmm. or even this podcast. You know, making sure I have enough content for like a biweekly release. Right. It, it, it's a practice. You know, it's a commitment. But it sounds like you use your downtime for those activities. Yeah, I. Um, well, I, I, I'm, I'm a night owl in the sense that not meaning I like to go out at night, but I, I do my best writing at night. Okay. So one a.m. I write something. It's probably gonna be better than what I write at nine a.m. Wow. So we're the opposite. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's how I, I, I get to budget the time. So sometimes even if I'm busy, yeah, I still write because I can't sleep, and then I, I start writing. It's so, almost like um, I don't know if you ever get this feeling where like you, like there's all these thoughts in your head. You just you gotta let it yeah, out somehow. Sometimes um, and I'm an emotional writer too. Okay. So it's not even about. Um, anything I want to share intellectually it's sometimes like something happens on the news and it pisses me off yeah. or it saddens me then I write actually the one I think the one and I put up a link over here because I was actually going to put it in the show notes mm-hmm. after is uh, I read your piece on the murder known as truth oh yeah yeah that was <laughs> that was a deep one actually. oh yeah do you if you could summarize because um, what I do want to do is make sure people read the full thing but if you were to summarize that in you know the the thesis of that in like two sentences what would it be because i think that was such an important piece for people to understand because you're in the unique position where you're not only cooking but mm-hmm. you're also telling the story of people who cook right so uh, what would you say is the 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 idea behind that piece well um the idea is basically this that the food industry is uh is an ecosystem composed of three groups the chef the chefs um the writers and the diners and i feel like if any one of the three fails to do what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. or fails to support the other the whole thing collapses and that's how you get chefs that kill themselves right and that's how you get restaurant good restaurants to close and bad restaurants to stay open and uh, that's how you get diners to never try a restaurant even if they've you know, like even if it's a really good restaurant, they never tried it. Yeah. Because again, there's a breakdown in the system. Yeah. So, um, it was really just a just a reminder to be mindful of 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 the of the of what we say and write. Right. As 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 a chef, as a writer, and so it's not an attack on the because some of the writers think that it was an attack on the writers, defending the chefs, um, but really it's not. It's it's um. It's actually a reminder for each, even for chefs, even for writers, even for diners, that we all have this power now, you know, with social media, with with the internet podcasts, with, um, you know, with web shows. We have the power to change people's lives. Yeah. And we have to be very careful. And that's why I was saying, like, you don't give everybody a kitchen knife without training them. So we should probably be careful with what we say as well. I mean, the pen is mightier than the sword in some (laughs) cases, right? It really is. And I mean, like, if it's true that uh, Chef uh, Violet killed himself because of uh, an impending downgrade on his restaurant, then you know that the the, the pen is mightier than the sword. Exactly. So that's essentially the article. Yeah, Yeah. uh, and that uh, reason I brought that up is because I think especially in big metropolitan cities, whether, you know, Manila... 
New York, mm-hmm. where there is the, the the perception game is so strong, right? Yes. People like start careers on Instagram, mm-hmm. right? I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's an important reminder to for us to, to remember that piece, um, sticking to tactics, because I'm keeping mindful of the dinner reservation we have. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about how you allocate your day. We talked about the actual writing. With the recipe side, because you you said you come up with with recipes. What's your what's kind of like? I, as people have either very discrete frameworks for how they create recipes. Like I have a very distinct one that I've mm-hmm. evangelized at my work, for example. Like, do you have a process for how you come up with a recipe? What's your thought process? Oh, I actually gave a talk recently about okay. how to create recipes, um, and I always start with a. It's basically a three part process. You start with your two main ingredients. You gotta have two main ingredients. Why two? Um, one is protein and the other is carb uh, or vegetable. Okay. So that's I always start with that. And then you can go from there. Uh, so once you pick your protein, then you can pick what goes well with that. Mm-hmm. And that's how a recipe starts for me. is um, Because I'm never gonna just think of say, I need to use this uh, this chocolate but I want to be different. So I'm going to find something that nobody's ever done with this chocolate and I'm going to put it, you know, because sometimes people have never done this before because it doesn't work, (laughs) right? There's a reason why. So I always start with uh, two ingredients. So let's say steak and potatoes. And if you wanted, you know, steak and potatoes have been overdone, right? So you want to be different, but you have to start from there. You can't just say I want to put chocolate on my mashed potatoes because I want to be different. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So my first thought is you need to get a protein and a carb or a vegetable that go well together. So once you start that, then you get what I call the secondary ingredients. Your secondary ingredients should be complementary to your primary, primary ingredients, okay. and then afterwards, the third one is like my balancing ingredient, like. Um, so let's say you start with the steak and potatoes. Your complementary would be, you know, maybe uh, butter. Um, I don't know, pimenton, yeah. garlic, rosemary. Okay, so you've got your basic flavor profiles there. Now, you're going to be afraid that that's going to be too heavy or too strongly flavored. So you need a third batch of ingredients, which is like your balancing ingredient. And yeah. usually, okay, I need some kind of sweetness or or sourness to cut off that richness. Yeah. And then you think maybe caramelized onions you know maybe uh, a pickle of some sort or like some acid to cut right cut the fat yeah yeah so that's when i finish the recipe once you come up with your third you have a basic framework go cook that see if that works yeah and then you go back and see what if it doesn't work see what can be removed replaced and then do it again so. yeah that's such an issue like i wish i asked this question to my previous podcast guests because oh, I've never yeah. asked it I actually only came up with that question when I did a solo one on like my framework right mm-hmm. and I wish I could have asked everyone for their framework and like com- it would be an interesting thing to, to compare yeah I'm pretty sure everybody has a different way yeah you, you actually have two I have four ah see so. mine is mine is protein mm-hmm. a starch or carb mm-hmm. vegetable and then a, and then a fat ah. like a cooking fat whether that's butter lard right. oil whatever whatever your medium is Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it's 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 so interesting to see someone else's framework because right. that's you know you have limitless recipes that come out of one framework. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's you, what makes us different. Yes. See. So. Yeah. 
using that framework, so three, it's a three part question using that process. What would you, what dish would you come up with today? If you were to open uh, a restaurant today, whether it's in the same style as, as quirky bacon mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a totally new concept, what would be one dish using that framework that you would make? Well, I'm probably going to start with the, what the restaurant is about sure. before I pick the primary ingredients. So, um, you know, I would probably try to open a Chinese Filipino restaurant, something more me. Okay. Right. So, uh, okay. Let's say, let's do some classic Chinese thing and then make it my own. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with beef and broccoli. Okay. Right. And, um, and usually you get that with oyster sauce, um, <laughs> carrots, uh, I don't know, maybe mushrooms, you know, like a beef stir fry. Yeah. But I don't want it to be that boring. So um, I'm going to do the beef as a steak instead of cut, as you know, thinly. Mm-hmm. Right. And then my other main ingredient is the, the broccoli. So I'm going to roast the broccoli because that's always how I enjoy it. So roasted broccoli and then a steak. So for me to be able to complement that, I need uh, some mushrooms and some... Uh, carrots, right? So I'm gonna roast the mushrooms, give it a real nice umami flavor. Carrots, I'll probably because I need that for my balancing ingredient. So I'll maybe pickle the carrot. Yeah, right. Yeah. So make it make it uh, make it a little sour, um, and then to make it a a fun dish because usually you cook the stir fry with oyster sauce. So instead of the usual oyster sauce, I'm going to make a a gravy that's made of actual oysters instead of <laughs> instead of oyster sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll probably do like a classic uh like a French uh oyster velouté. So yeah. like uh you cook the oysters with white wine and and um onions and then cream and then blend it all together. So that's sort of like my steak gravy. I don't know if it's going to work, so I'll probably have to do it. I'm already tasting it. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work, but see, that's kind of how I I do it also. Like my mind is always trying to find some way to make this a little quirkier, a little more fun. Yeah. I think that maybe sometimes people take food too seriously. I always like to think of food as something that brings people uh amusement happiness um just generally a good feeling you know yeah 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 for sure just so that if you guys you're eating it with someone else it's a good conversation starter if you don't know what to talk about right um then you can start talking about the dish like hey this guy is weird like why did he put these two things together and then you start talking and it's a good conversation it's a good good way to connect yeah right i think that's what i found too is like when i've met people and we barely speak the same language Mm -hmm. usually you could share a meal and yeah, yeah. You don't even have to use the words, right? You're like, oh, how did you, you know, why'd you use that? Right. Um, and that's this... happened to me, like, multiple times, like, eating around, mm. you know? People sometimes, complete strangers would come by and ask me if I enjoyed my meal because yeah. they're about to buy one. Then we start talking about what I enjoyed, and that's happened multiple times. Yeah. So, yeah. Is is that approach the same approach you... <laughs> And I mean, everyone pretty much knows this now. Like everyone has included this name in every one of the articles written about you. Is this the same approach you did when you when you did the the like what number? How many was it? Eighty dishes 40, for Bea? 
40. <laughs> 40? Yeah. Well, is it the same approach that you generally took? Uh, well, for the 40 dishes for me, a lot of that was just uh, me trying to create dishes anyway. And um, I so I tried to create 40 different dishes to see what she really likes. Yeah. Which you one know. did she end up? Um, well, she was very nice. Uh, she's like super nice. She's like the nicest person. I ever. like how you're speechless. But, uh, <laughs> but um, basically, she told me like, it's up to you, okay. which is the best compliment ever to yeah. give a chef. Um, if I had all the money in the world, I would go omakase in every restaurant I go to. Oh, yeah. Because that's the best compliment to the chef. Like, just do what you want. Yeah. Right? And that's basically what she said. Like, just cook what you want. So, keeping that in mind, I, I cooked um, more seafood. And um, because I know that she's trying to eat lighter. So, And then her fans were super supportive. Yeah. So, I actually got fans to... Uh, some fans would send me messages to tell me that, oh, uh, don't do chocolate. Uh, make sure to do Japanese wow. food because she likes <laughs> Japanese food. So I got a lot of support. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would, although to the point of omakase, like, actually when I go to restaurants now, I, I advocate for not even ordering on the menu. I would often ask the waiter two questions. It's either one, what's your most popular item? Mm -hmm. And second, what is one that's not popular but you wish it were? Because mm -hmm. it's often the second dish that hey, that's very interesting. Th they really wanted to get this out there. Mm -hmm. But somehow people, you know what I mean? Like it's the it's the dish that the chef secretly really loves. Mm -hmm. But alamuna it's not the winner. It's yeah, not the yeah, yeah. it's not the pork belly that everyone's yeah, gonna yeah, get, yeah. right? So that's a that's a good way to approach it. Some of the things. most yeah, interesting yeah. dishes I've had were mm -hmm. because of that second question where Nice. You read the menu and you're like, so the place we're going to actually, I could show yeah. you the dish. Like it, the description was grilled skinless chicken breast and salt. And I'm like, this sounds so boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the waiter was like, trust me, you want to get this. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's it's a different experience. Right. Flipping the, the question, because okay. I know you also said that you would love to cook for the president. Oh, yes. Okay. Considering our current president, for all those listening who are not in New York, because mm -hmm. this is a very touchy subject. Okay. This is a non-political question. This yeah. is simply <laughs> what you would cook. Duterte came to your house. Mm -hmm. What would you cook for him? Well, first of all, I'd be scared because <laughs> why are you here, sir? But um, no, uh, I know for a fact that he likes simple food. Yep. Uh, and I heard that he really likes mongo, oh, uh, mung okay. beans too. So I'm definitely going to do my version of that. Um and uh, I do mine very simply with uh, with bacon and dashi. Apart dashi. from yeah, apart from the dried it's fish. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I just feel like adding another layer of umami will work really well. Because, do you make your own dashi? Uh, I try to, but oh, it's, hard, it's hard to get the what's it called the, the katsuboshi. Ah, the katsuboshi. Yeah. Uh, well, there are quite a few Japanese stores in 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 Manila, so. You can get it. It's uh, and hey, it's the president. It's special occasion, so yeah. you gotta get you gotta pull out all the stuffs. Wow, that's right? like Mongo is so. It's almost it's so peasant fare. Yes, dashi and, and bacon. That's just yeah. Like, no, know. I mean, uh, I actually cooked a version of that Mongo in Cultura recently. Okay, I put it on nachos because you know there's refried beans on some nachos anyway. That's true, right? That's so true. yeah, I did a dish that had chicken in the sal and Mongo. 
that was cooked with batuan. So it was more of like my ode to Bacolod. Wait, how did uh, you find batuan here? No, I smuggled it in. But, oh, uh, <laughs> you should have told me I miss batuan. <laughs> but um, no, actually, I uh, smuggled in some powdered form. It okay. wasn't really uh, the actual fruit. Okay. Um, actual fruit is very difficult it's to get. It's very hard yeah. to find outside of Isaias. Yeah, so I got the powdered version. Okay. So I cooked that, mashed that up pretty much like ref- like how refried beans are. And then I put them on the nachos with uh, chicken in a sal and then a lemongrass aioli. And, you know, start chi- trying to change people's minds about mung beans, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but the president loves it. So, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it would, it, it it would, would win. win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to wrap up here. What I'm discovering is that because you played so many roles... Mm-hmm. This is one of those episodes where I really want to do a separate one on just, especially since you're still writing the book, on just the technique side, the oh, the, the yeah, cooking. Yeah. Sure. So sure, maybe sure. if I went, if if we see each other in Manila mm-hmm. a couple of months mm-hmm. from now, I want to like reshoot. Yeah, yeah Just yeah. the cooking piece because I think today, what we really focused on, and I think actually it's often understated, is the story stuff. Yeah. People often say, "Oh, I know how to brunoise. I know how to yeah. mince. Yeah. I'm good." You know, right? Yeah. Um, which is, like you said, I, I made that mistake too mm-hmm. of thinking like, okay, shit, I know how to make a stew. I'm good. I don't need right. to get deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I wanted to wrap up with was some of these rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Cool. It's up to you whether you want to answer them as quickly as I ask them. Okay. Or you can take a little more time. Okay. You, okay. Number one question, person who most influenced you from a culinary standpoint and why? Uh, definitely Nora Daza. Um, just watching her show, I actually wrote a piece about that because she made me feel like I could do it. Who is who is Nora Daza? Uh, Nora Daza is basically the the OG, the legend. She's the first Filipina to ever have a cooking show on TV. She was also the first Filipina to open a Filipino restaurant in France, um, Paris at that, and um, she was just basically the woman you know and you say uh, she's like the Juliet she's not like Juliet child of the Philippines but well she was people call her that that okay. she's the Juliet child of the Philippines that's my that's like the shortest um, description I could give of Nora Daza but that doesn't give her justice because you know she was really she really uh, operated the restaurant you know because Juliet child was always about the TV and the cookbook mm-hmm. but Nora Daza was also really a chef a restaurant chef and um, so, but pretty much just like Julia Child, she was able to inspire generations of people to cook. And uh, her cookbook, her original cookbook with a white cover, um, I lost my original copy, which like really killed me. So I got another one. And even if, even now, when I'm stumped to do a recipe, I flip through the book, see if I can find something that inspires me. Yeah. And that's usually where I get my starting point. Yeah. So, um, definitely Nora Daza. I think what most people don't know about Nora Daza is she actually owned a restaurant named Maharlika oh, yeah. in New yeah. York. Right, right. Which, at first, I thought I was reading something wrong, but yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh my God, there was... Yes. She had this in New York like long time ago. <laughs> Second question, best kitchen tool you've ever purchased besides the knife? Uh, offset spatula, the little one. <laughs> that saves your life, man. Because it can cut through soft things in a pinch. You yeah. can lift everything with it. You can plate with it. Yep. Especially Everybody needs it. to buy a little offset, <laughs> offset spatula. spatula. 
Next question. Three Filipino ingredients to describe you. Oh, to describe me? Yeah. That'll be... That's oh, you know I'm... what? Let's let's expand it because I think Filipino is a little, a little bit narrow considering like where you've been and especially, uh, I mean, you've studied in Canada too. Like all those, all that of you. So I'll broaden the question. Three ingredients to describe. <laughs> well, I think sticking to the Filipino theme. Sure. Bagoong. Not because I'm smelly, but... <laughs> which is fermented. Which I, which I can get sometimes. <laughs> but bagong, which is fermented shrimp paste, is... Yeah. I like it because, you know what? you, It just gets better as you let it sit, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to think that who I am now is an improvement over who I was uh, culinarily. Sure. And, um, and it's also unabashedly Filipino. And I'd like to think I'm the same. Like, uh, I've never tried to pass myself off as Chinese, even though I could, yeah. or Korean, or whatever. So whenever people ask me, I always say I'm Filipino. And uh, and I think bagong is the same. When you smell bagong, you know you a Filipino hear... somewhere there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So for, for sure, that one, I think. Um, I would like to think an egg also, because I think that uh, an egg does many things. And... Uh, you know, I'd like to think of myself as the same. Like, I, I can, I can be this. I can be that. Like, I can be the, the main ingredient, but I can also be the background ingredient. I can be that ingredient that nobody even knows is there, and I'm fine with it. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll do my job, and then I'll step away. Yeah. Just like an egg. Yeah. So that I think, and then, uh, well, I don't know. I guess I should say bacon because I'm known for bacon, but <laughs> but I don't want to use that to describe myself. So <laughs> um, maybe uh, the pepper, like a, like a labuyo, okay, because it's small. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's misunderstood, like uh, well, you know, I'm small, but also because like you know, labuyo has always been like, oh, it's fire, it's fire, it's like burn your tongue yeah but there's flavor in there you know it's very it, distinct it, it, yeah it's a it, if you roast the labuya it's actually very fruity and, I've never uh, done that yeah, yeah. The, uh, it, it's a nightmare to do it because they're so small but I, I I used to like cut them in half take the seeds off and then just roast a lot of them and put them together with you know I don't know roasted tomatoes or whatever it's so interesting because right? you know Provincia yeah, we yeah. just eat that like yeah the, the spiciness will drop drop dramatically wow. so um but it's a pain to make it's a real pain to make but uh Something you know just a few pieces right yeah. just roast a few pieces when you're already roasting the tomato or the pepper just put them in there you it's know. good to know I, yeah. i'm gonna try that next time i head to my dad's province yeah so that's basically me small misunderstood <laughs> Oh my can, god, we went to this can, dark world. <laughs> can burn people. But, but it's actually, you know, it's actually a, a nice ingredient to have, to have around. This right? is a very, very deep answer. I know <laughs> usually, like, sometimes I, I'm torn between giving this question beforehand so people can think. Right. But it's also interesting to see what they come up with on the fly. Yeah, I, actually, I've never been asked that question before, so it kind of... <laughs> took me aback hey you did it perfectly you know <laughs> there was almost no hesitation oh there was a lot of it <laughs> um one book documentary or or resource for the common person uh like a must read basically kitchen confidential okay i think uh you know i'm trying to write a book but kitchen confidential is like the book uh, i know it's it's uber popular now so maybe people think that it's a tourist trap 
but really it it's the most honest one you can find it was written in yeah. a time when it wasn't very touristy I yes guess. i i get the yeah burdine was really very honest and at that point when he was writing it he didn't have a reputation to keep yep. he didn't have a show to keep he didn't have a you know millions of dollars behind him so he's basically honest yeah. yeah he was as honest i i i think he would cringe at some of the things he wrote now right <laughs> but i mean he's mellowed out over the yeah, years because so he knows his kid is growing up yeah. right so but yeah i think it's an essential book i think for anybody that's that claims to be interested in food loves food wants to work with food you have to read that first sure that's um, I actually have a, I found one in a garage sale, a signed copy. What? It's, a signed copy? It's like so, it's, but I mean, it's all torn up and shit. Like, yeah, but I think Burdane, I, I think Burdane wants it to be all torn up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thrown in the gar- garbage, burned a bit. Um, <laughs> if someone were to write about, and I actually wrote down here, Curiosity Got the Chef, but I think it's really broader than that. Everything that you've done, mm-hmm. the story of Sharwinti, what would the one line message be? Uh, I hope that it would be just you just do your thing okay. because uh, there is no possible explanation for me being able to do what I do now N- you know being this ordinary person you know like I can't even uh, you know I'm not a I'm not a cheesy person yeah. so like I don't I, I I hated those messages growing up, you know, like follow your dreams. Yeah, yeah. dreams come true, whatever. I'm like, yeah, yeah. come on, dude. Like, yeah, but it's now not very I can't. Pragmatic. I, I I can't I can't discount that anymore because you know when I was six years old, I wanted to host my own cooking show, and then I did it 25 years later. It's just I I can't deny that it happens. Yeah. Right? So, um, I think maybe at the end of that whole. Thing, like if they write about me or what I do is that at the end of the day if you're gonna be if you're meant to do it you just you're just gonna fall into it sure you know you just chug along you do your thing and someone will just drop you into the right direction right you gotta do though yeah you, you gotta, gotta do, do. Your, you, gotta <laughs> you gotta do your do. thing you gotta do last question which is purely logistical you already mentioned the website a while ago where can mm-hmm. people follow your story okay um well Definitely Sharwinti.com. That okay. has everything. But um, I'm on social media. So at Chef Sharwin. That's for Twitter and Instagram. Sure. And uh, for Facebook, it's uh, Chef Sharwinti. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm trying to consolidate everything. Actually. And then the, the shows, where can people watch your show? Okay. So Curiosity Got the Chef is on Lifestyle in the Philippines every Sunday at 9 p.m. Um, and it's on. it's available on TFC. If you have lifestyle on TFC, uh, I just don't know the times. That's um, fine. And then um, I think some old episodes are available on TFC.tv. Okay. So. I could put those links. I'll, I'll yeah. look for it. But as I said, I think um, we definitely need, you know, it's almost like you're three different personalities <laughs> in my head. And we need to do like a episode with <laughs> Chef Sharwin the Traveler, <laughs> Chef no. Sharwin like the cook. Um, so I hope we could, we could dive into the the cooking stuff especially since you're writing the book yeah in december um i would love that yeah but i could sit in this hotel room and you know if i brought that korean rice beer i'm pretty sure this episode would have gotten a lot longer than it should have oh but it would have gotten more emo too (laughs) you know how i am when i drink so (laughs) uh we'll see man we'll see um 
But oh, that's sake. It is dinner time, and there will be sake even awesome. for just a little bit. So, thank you again for the time, especially since you're here on trip. Yo, no, thank yeah. you, thank you for for uh-huh. having me. It's a it's an honor, and actually, I just found out that you did a podcast with Amy Bessa. So, oh, I'm kind of so over dinner. I'll tell super you nervous, what like. what what. <laughs> Dita Amy means to me because I I build her even on the podcast description I build her as the woman who crushed my dreams of owning a restaurant <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, I mean I hope I live up to whatever wisdom she passed on. I I hope to have passed on just half of that and I'd be happy because <laughs> no. everyone's got a story to tell, man. Everyone's yeah. got a story to tell. That is true. <laughs>